You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Thank you, Brother Ryan and uh, Pastor Ryan. And, uh, I'm glad to be here tonight. Good to be back at CTK. I get honored to pastor tonight, and uh, he's not feeling the greatest, so I'm praying for his quick recovery. But it's an honor to be able to stand before you and to uh, speak from the word of the Lord. I want to invite you to go with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 and verse 31. Luke 7 and verse 31, I was looking forward tonight to hearing the next uh, part of the series on the Corinthians, so I was a little disappointed that I didn't get to hear Pastor tonight, but uh, I just, I'll just share with you where, where I felt directed today in my mind in the word of the Lord, Luke chapter 7 and verse 31, Jesus was speaking and he, he said this, and the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned to you, and ye have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say he hath the devil. The Son of Man is come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. Verse 35, But wisdom is justified of all her children. And it's from verse 35 that I'd like to draw a title from here tonight and simply speak to us here on this. Wisdom is justified. Somebody tell your neighbor, wisdom is justified. help and pray. Let's ask God's favor and blessing on this here tonight. Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you, God. I thank you for the privilege we have together in your house to worship you, Lord. Open up your word. I pray tonight, God, that, that you would anoint us here. I pray that your word, God, would give strength and encouragement tonight, that your word would speak to our hearts, that you would have your way, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in the church said amen. Amen. God bless you as you're seated tonight. Just to give a little context uh, uh, of what was going on when Jesus gave that, that uh, when he said that there in verse 35, prior to that, he, he's talking about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. He's called the, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. And John the Baptist really had one message. He, he was preparing the way of the Lord. And so his entire message was telling the people of God, you need to repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so you got to make the crooked path straight and let every high place be made low and every low place be exalted. And he was calling out sin. He was saying, you need to repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he was baptizing people unto repentance. And this is still the, the way that we prepare our lives for Christ is through repentance. you got to repent. And... But the Pharisees and the lawyers and the religious leaders of that day, they rejected the counsel of God. And Jesus said in rejecting the counsel of God, they did it unto themselves. They, they rejected the counsel of God against themselves. 
And any time that, that somebody rejects the word or the counsel of God, it does not do any damage to God, but it is only against themselves. When we, if we reject God, it is not any, any harm but anyone to ourself. And so they rejected God's counsel against themselves. And so it was here in verse 31 that Jesus asks really a rhetorical question. He says, unto what do I liken this generation? What, what do I compare a generation to that has rejected God's counsel? And they had rejected John's message of repentance. And, and he says in verse 32 that they are like children. He says it's childish. It's foolish. Like children in the marketplace. And they call one to another saying, we piped unto you and you didn't dance. We mourned to you and you have not wept. Children, children, we, uh, if you were, a, when I was a child, we'd play all kinds of games. We use our imagination to do all kinds of things. We'd play cops and robbers. Anybody ever played cops and robbers? Cowboys and Indians. All kinds of different games. We'd imagine we were pirates. You know, you build tree houses and all these different things. And so the children of that day, they had games that they would play and they perhaps would be in the marketplace bored. And what do they do? Well, we'll sing a song and we'll dance or, or, or we'll, we'll pretend to have a funeral and we'll, we'll play like we're weeping and we're mourning. And they just, they were playing games. And, and so Jesus said, this generation, they're like children in the marketplace. They're just playing games and there's no seriousness that there is no uh, uh, gravity of understanding. But, but if you think about the mind of a child, they are totally consumed with right now. And there's no thought. That a child is not thinking about 10 or 20 or 30 years in the future. They're just thinking about immediate gratification and, and what is right before them. And, and so uh, uh, he, he says when John the Baptist was here, he did not eat or drink the things that you ate and that you drank, and he lived a very austere life. And they said, well, he has a devil. He has a demon. Something is not right with him. And, and then when the Son of Man was with you, he did eat and drank, and he turned water into wine, and he would eat in the house of sinners. And so of him, you said, well, he's a drunkard and a wine-bibber, a friend of sinners. And, and so of, of this generation of, of, of ch childlikeness and, and foolishness that they found fault, not in the message, but in the messenger. And no matter which way the message came, they found something to criticize. That whether it was John the Baptist coming so very different than the way that Jesus came, the very approach was very different, and yet they, they found fault with both. And this is a reality of life. There will always be a voice to criticize you no matter what you do. Doesn't matter what you decide to do, there will always be a voice that will be able to find fault. And on the flip side, there will also always be voices that affirm you no matter what you decide to do. Yeah. And you can, uh, if you decide to do something, you can seek out voices that will approve what you decide to do. And so it is very important, the voices that we allow to have influence in our life, the voices that we, that we allow to speak into our life. And if you live your life in a way where you kind of just put your finger up in the wind or see which way the, the public poll is, is going, and if that's kind of just, well, let me just kind of pull here and find out what they think there. And if it's just different voices that kind of steer your life, then your life is not going to have a very certain direction. but It'll be tossed all around. And so uh, 
I, I want voices to speak into my life, but I want them to be voices that, that the Lord places in my life. And, and there are voices that God does establish in our life. We have the word of the Lord, but then God also, uh, in, a, in the life of a child, He gives parents. That's a, that's a voice that God establishes. And, and in the church, God gives pastors and offices of ministry that these are not voices that we create, but these are God-ordained voices. And so I value those voices in my life. But Jesus, he's talking to this generation that, that they are like children and, and it's just a game. And, and, and they mock and they find fault and, and they just criticize everything. And then he gives that promise in verse 35. He says, but wisdom... Despite what the generation would say, despite their, their mockery and their finding fault, and, but wisdom is justified of all her children. And uh, so I, I do find it interesting here that in the way that Jesus describes wisdom's justification, that he could have described it in any number of ways. He could have used any, any number of words or phrasings to, to get the point across. But he said it is justified of her children. And so a child is not something that is seen after it's conceived. There's nine months before you even see the child. And then when a child is born, it is totally dependent on its parents to nourish it and to keep it alive. And uh, then as a child grows grows up, the parents over the course of that, that the childhood, of they, they are investing and they're pouring into the child. And, and parents, they sacrifice and they do everything they can because they want their child to succeed. In fact, I think most parents probably, they want their child to do better than they ever did. And they want to set their child up to, to achieve more than they did. And so they, they pour into them. And, 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 and it's not, uh, you know, when you have a child, it's not just some immediate gratification. It's not just some immediate just, wow, that's awesome. And I'm not speaking from any experience, but I just seen enough children to know that uh, it's not just like the most, always the most amazing thing. There, there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into it. And over the course of time, how that relationship with that child changes and you see them as they grow up and they begin to make decisions of their own and they're a byproduct of everything that the, that the parent poured into them. And so Jesus says, wisdom is justified of its children. That what wisdom produces and what it births will always vindicate and justify and show wisdom was right and wisdom was good. Um, I, I was thinking back. I was just thinking of different, different areas in which the wisdom of God uh, justifies itself and how, how this plays out. And... Uh, I just came to my, my memory today. There, there was this moment in high school. I was in high school, and I remember this day sitting at the lunch table and just in the topic of conversation sitting around. It was, I don't know, eight guys sitting around a table, and at some point in the conversation, pornography came up. And one of the guys brought this up, and then he kind of just made a statement that kind of assumed that everybody there partook in it. And then he looked at me and said, well, except for you, Kendall. And it was a little bit of a maybe kind of condescending tone. And, and I remember in that moment as a young high schooler, even feeling some embarrassment being singled out, the only guy at this table not consuming this thing. And, and it was kind of like, what's wrong with you? And this is just 
a thing that we all do. It's just natural. And, and that's the generation that we live in, looking at so many things that are immoral that we justify. And, and our culture says it's not a big deal. It's, it's just a game. It's not that serious. Don't, don't overthink it. Don't make it something that it's not. And, and I remember that, that just stuck in my mind, that the feeling of what that was like to have this entire group looking at me like something's wrong with you. And then you look 10 and 20 and 30 years down the road and you see the effect that that has on a man who the psychological effect and the addiction that gets a hold of them and you see it play out in what it produces in broken marriages and broken relationships and, and all of a sudden what, what could be mocked and what could be said, well, that doesn't really matter. It's just a game. It's not that serious. But, but all of a sudden what has been produced has shown how wicked of a thing it is. And, and for somebody that walks in the wisdom of God, what has been produced has now justified the blessing of God that comes in obedience to the Word of God. And so you can look at all kinds of different things in, in, in our culture that says, well, it doesn't really, doesn't matter. Don't make a big deal out of that because, because you say, well, there's certain things that I don't do and there's certain things that I don't consume and that I don't listen to and that I don't go to that place. And, and there's things in my life that I, that because of the wisdom of God, I don't partake in that. And, and a generation that looks and says, huh, what, what's wrong with you? What, what's your, something's wrong that you don't want to partake in all of it. You're like John the Baptist. You're, you're taking it too serious. But, but, all of it, but you look down the road at what those things produce. The children that come out of that. And the Bible says wisdom is justified of her children. And, and what I also just jumps out to me of this scripture in verse 35 that Jesus does not say that the wisdom of God, you follow the wisdom of God and there's a pretty good chance that things are going to go well. You follow the wisdom of God that, that most of the time what comes out of that is going to... No, but Jesus said all her children that everything, everything that the wisdom of God produces will justify wisdom. There is not one thing in the Word of God that when you obey the Word of God, everything in the Word of God will vindicate itself. And when you get to the, to the end of your life and you look back, you will not have one regret of anything that you obeyed in the Word of the Lord because Jesus said all that, that wisdom produces, every child of wisdom will justify that wisdom was a blessing and it was right and it was good. Now this, this sounds great, and what a great promise this is. What a good thing it is. If we follow wisdom of God, it will be a blessing. It will justify itself. It will prove itself. But of course, the challenge here is that the wisdom of God is so very contrary to the wisdom of men. And the ways of God are so vastly contrary to the ways of men. And the Word of God is so very different than the desire of our flesh. Jesus, He told a lot of parables and uh, illustrating the kingdom of God. And He made a lot of statements about the kingdom of God. And what they very often would highlight was how different God's ways and God's wisdoms are than our own. 
He told, he told parables like the owner of the vineyard. And Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like the man that owns the vineyard. And so he goes out in the early morning hours of the day, he goes out the sixth hour, the ninth hour, the eleventh hour, last hour of the day he goes out, finds more laborers to come and work in the vineyard. And then Jesus says at the end of the day, he paid every laborer the same wage. He said, this is the kingdom of God. Now in the wisdom of men, it doesn't seem like a good idea if you own a company to pay your employees the same wage to the guy that works one hour to the guy that worked eight hours. That doesn't fit in the wisdom of men. But Jesus said, this is the kingdom of God. It's not like the, the earth, an earthly kingdom. It's very different. And so uh, there was another moment. It's in Luke chapter 22 where Jesus, or where the disciples of Jesus, they did this on more than one occasion. And I know it's something we would never do today, but they were jockeying. The Bible says it was with strife that they were arguing and fighting amongst one another. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I know there would never be a conversation today about whose church is better or which preacher is best, or I know we would never talk like that, but sometimes even our celebrity-driven culture, there's a celebrity-driven Christian culture. And, and so more than one occasion, the disciples were fighting, arguing, trying to figure out where they are on the totem pole. Is Peter better than John? Is John better than James? Where, where do we all fall on this? And they're, they're arguing, trying to figure this out. And Jesus, he makes the statement, Luke chapter 22 and verse 24 says, And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And Jesus said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat. But I am among you as he that serveth. Um, got marker board here. Hopefully, I don't, we'll see if this, this works here. Um, you know, if you think about like in, a, in the corporate world business, you know, if you're thinking about where you want to be in a business, most people in our, in our world, they, they don't, you, you might have to start here, but you don't want to really be the entry level employee at the bottom. That's not what most people are hoping for because at the bottom of the, of the, entry-level employee, you know, you got to punch the clock and you just got to do what you're told. And, and, and up at the top with the CEO is where you get all of the, the rights and, and the, the perks and, and the privileges. You know, it's, it's up at the top with the CEO, the owner, owner of the company. Like, I, I don't want to be the, the cashier. I want to be like Elon Musk. You know, you can just buy Twitter and do whatever you want with it and fire people, hire people. And, you know, you just... You're the, you're the top. You're the CEO. You, that's where all the rights and the perks are. You come and go when you please. You make the rules. Yeah. And, and so the disciples, they're, they're, they're arguing amongst themselves. Who, who's the CEO of this thing? Who's, who's the, the top dog? Who's, who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And, and so this is, this is kind of where, where, where they're, they're like, hey, how do I get up here with all the, the rights and the perks, you know? And, and Jesus, he takes this, this sort of apex mentality and, and he flips it around. And 
And, and the, the rights and the perks are, are really still up here. And, and he says ministry is down here. And, um, you know, most churches that I've ever been to, uh, they, they usually have people that, that come to church just on Sunday morning, you know. And uh, this is a Wednesday night crowd, so we're all safe here. Praise God. <laughs> but most churches, you know, they have people that they, they come on Sunday morning and they enjoy a good Sunday morning service. And, and, and really, and you think about it in a large part, that they, they really enjoy a lot more maybe perks and rights, that they have the right to come and go when they want to. There's not really any responsibility mandating them to come, and so they can kind of do their own thing, and, and, and there's, there's a little bit more flexibility there. And, and, and the farther down you go until you get down to really uh, the, a pastor is kind of the tip of the spear of the local church, and, and of course pastors get sick and they do go, have to go on vacation, things like that, but, but it's kind of important that the pastor shows up to church. You know, they don't really have the right to just, I don't really feel like going to you know, there, there's, there's some things that were uh, required a little bit more. And, and so uh, Jesus says in the kingdom of heaven, the greatest is not the one that sits up, that, that you come to church on Sunday morning when you feel like it and you tuck in the bib and you got your fork and knife and you're going to sit down at the spiritual table to be fed. But, but he said, no, it's the, the ones that come and they're saying, hey, I'm here to serve and I'm here to give of myself. And, and so he says, the, the further down you go, the more that you are saying, I'm going to serve. And, 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 and so there are some things that I'm going to have to give up. Um, I, I heard one, more than one preacher make this statement before talking about in ministry that if you will deepen, God will broaden. And that if you will worry about your depth, then the Lord will worry about the breadth of your ministry. And um, I, I want to read from Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 and verse 1. Acts 16 and verse 1, the Bible says, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple there was named Timotheus or, or Timothy, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish and believed, but his father was a Greek. Verse 2, which was well reported of by the brethren that there were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And so the scripture says here, that Paul uh, had taken note of a young man named Timothy. And Timothy had a good reputation. He had a good, uh, he was well, well reported of, well spoken of. Uh, but there was one problem, he was not circumcised. And Paul, you know, in, in Galatians, he dealt with the issue of, of circumcision. He said, this is not a requirement. This is not something that you have to do that was under the old covenant, we're in the new covenant, and baptism is the, is the circumcision in the new covenant. We're baptized in Jesus' name. And so the, the Judaizers that were trying to force this, he says no. He put his foot down. This is not for salvation. This is not required. But here it was in Acts 16 that, that he's going to invite Timothy. Hey, Timothy, there is a door of opportunity for you to minister with me. 
and I want to bring you, but you're going to have to get circumcised. And it was not a, a requirement, if you would, right? Paul, Paul makes that clear. This is not for salvation. And so Timothy could have said, well, this is my right. I don't have to do that. And, and Timothy could have stood his ground and say, no, that's not necessary. That's not required. I have a right not to have to do that. But, but, but in order for him to go through a door of ministry and opportunity, he had to be willing to give up what was his right and what, what was his privilege. And so in order for there to be a greater level of service and ministry, he, he had to say, okay, this is not something that, that should be mandated or required, but I'm willing to give up what is my right because I want to be used greater in the kingdom of God. And so uh, even perhaps we could, we could find it in our own life that, that our level of usability in the kingdom of God is not really determined by our gifting or our talent or our ability. And people can become capped or limited. There becomes a, a threshold in their ability to be used not, not because of any kind of talent or gifting, but, but in how much they're willing to say, hey, this may be my right, but I'm willing to give it up because I just want to be used in the kingdom of God. And so in verse number five, it says, of Acts 16, it says, and so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. That the Bible says there, they went and there was, they established churches, there was added to daily, the spirits poured out, and there's revival because Timothy didn't say, hey, this is my right, but he said, no, Paul, if this is what needs to be required of me, then I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to give up my right and my privilege to say, I, I want to be used. I want to see the kingdom of God advance. And Jesus says that's what ministry is and that's what greatness looks like. It's not that you, that you sit and are the one being served, but that's that you, you say, Hey God, I want to be used by you. And so Lord, I'm willing to give up. I'm willing to humble myself. Whatever it is, God, I want to be used. I want to see the kingdom of God advance. It's the wisdom of God. And when you follow the wisdom of God, it will always be justified in what it produces. Uh, we, we are familiar with the life of Joseph. God gives Joseph these very high and, and lofty dreams. And God gives Joseph these dreams about, you know, what gets interpreted, his brothers bowing to him. And, and then we know Joseph makes the mistake, probably we would say, of telling his brothers, hey, God told me you're going to bow to me one day. But what a, what a high and lofty dream that, that God gives Joseph. And then you follow along, and the pit was not in the dream, and the slavery was not in the dream, and being lied on at Potiphar's house was not in the dream, and being thrown into prison was not in the... None of these things were in the dream. And it seemed in Joseph's life as if God was just bringing him lower and lower and God's just, just taking him downward. And, and it's like, God, what is in Joseph's mind? What, what is going on, God? This, this was not, I thought you were taking me to a high place, Lord. This isn't what, what the dream was all about. But then at the end of it all, in Genesis 50 and verse 20, Joseph stands before his brothers and he says, what you meant unto me for evil, God meant it for good. 
And while it did not make sense at all in the moment, and it was not a part of the original dream that God had given, every step of the way, God was orchestrating and God was ordering His steps. And at the end of it all, wisdom was justified of her children. And what God had produced through bringing Joseph so low was putting him in a high place that God could use him for His purpose. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13 says, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. That The Scripture says, God gave Abraham a promise and then there was a period of time before the promise came to pass and in that season of waiting. And I think this is true of, of every believer's life that, that, that there may be those here tonight that God has given you a promise and God has, has put something in your spirit and God has, has uh, uh, maybe given you a burden or a calling or, or something that God has put inside of you. and. And there is always this time or this season of waiting before the promise comes to pass. And it's in that time of waiting where the doubt tries to creep in and, and the worry and, and, and the questioning of whether or not it's ever going to come to pass. And, and it tries to alter your path and alter your faith and, and willingness to just stay obedient before the Lord. And so over and over we see this in Scripture where God gives a promise. And then there's this waiting that, that Abraham, he waited 25 years before the promise came to pass. And there was Moses. God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush and says, Moses, I'm going to use you. And then Moses waits for 40 years on the backside of a desert. Nothing happens for 40 years. And there was Joseph, of course, just spoke about Joseph. He waited 13 years for the promise to come to pass. And then there's David. And David, Samuel pours the oil on David's head. And he gets anointed to be king. And he even goes and he slays Goliath. And people are singing his praise. But then David's on the run. He's running from Saul. And he's hiding out in caves. And he was anointed to be king. But it doesn't look like... Looks like he might die. Somebody's trying to kill him. The very man that he is supposed to be taking his place. And so David waited 22 years before the promise came to pass. And so over and over again, God speaks and God gives a promise and God gives a word. But then there's this, this process where, where God begins to work in the lives of the people that he gave the promise to. And God begins to put things into their spirit and God is pulling things out of their spirit. And God puts them upon the potter's wheel and begins to push and begins to work on them. And if I could just tell somebody here tonight that there may be a promise that God has given you and word that God God has placed in your spirit, but, but in the midst of the process that, that you would just allow the, the Lord to, to be able to work in your heart and to be able to work in your life because we know that He is a faithful God and that when it's all said and done, 
that wisdom will be justified of her children. And just as it was for Moses or for Abraham or for Joseph or for David and on and on the list goes, that, that after the process was complete, there came a time of fruition and everything that God had promised came to pass. And so it is our promise that wisdom will always be justified of her children. And so may we as the children of God and as children of wisdom, we're children of wisdom. And so may our lives be a testimony that point to Christ and say he is good and his word is true. And there is nothing like the blessing of the Lord in our lives. Amen. 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 I want to invite you to stand together with me tonight. Amen. Amen. Brother Danny, I walked in tonight and he said, he said, oh, good, we might get out early tonight. <laughs> he was excited about that. <laughs> Amen. But I pray for somebody here tonight that perhaps who is in that process and, and God's working on you and that we would hold, hold true to the promise of God that wisdom is justified of her children. And if I live my life in a way where, where I'm so fixated on, on some immediate satisfaction or, or some immediate gain that I would be like Esau and I would sell the birthright for, for a bowl of porridge and not understand the value of what God has for me to say no. Doesn't matter what the voices are saying, the criticism, doesn't matter the desire for some kind of immediate, I'm not looking for the immediate satisfaction, but Lord, I know the promise of God. I know the word of the Lord. It's going to be a blessing in my life. And Lord, if I'll obey your word and if I'll stay true to your process and your hand in my life, then I know everything that is produced by your wisdom and by your word is going to be justified. I wonder if you lift up your hands unto the Lord for a moment. Let's just pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I thank you tonight for the word of the Lord. I thank you, God, for every promise, God. I pray tonight you give strength, Lord. I pray tonight to give peace, God, to know, Lord, that you are faithful and you are true. All the promises of God are in you, yea, and amen. And Lord, we hold on to the promise that all of wisdom will be justified by his children. Everything that you produce in our life, it will be good, it will be true. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to your purpose. So, Lord, we trust you. We believe in you, God. We put our faith in you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you clap your hands under the Lord?